Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, again, good morning, church family. I hope you are doing wonderful. I'm excited about continuing in this series. It's really a conversation uh, that we've been having uh, that is coming right out of the passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 14 that I wanna dive straight into uh, today for part three. I'm gonna go ahead and start reading in verse 28. It says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water and came toward Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. We've been in this series titled Water Walkers. I wanna ask you just to get involved with me and go ahead and repeat after me right now. Say, I am a water walker. See, we get this title and uh, you might be like, what are you talking about? Well, uh, in this series, we've been talking about the principle of exception, exploring this principle of exception. And we have it on the side screens. The principle of exception is this, that what happens with them does not dictate or determine what happens with me. And man, that's a good principle that I hope we could all start living our lives by as followers of Christ, that what happens with them does not dictate or determine what happens with me, that, that you and I are gonna go through similar circumstances. We're gonna go through similar trials in life, but our outcome can be different. See, God said it will be different for my people than it is with you. That, so just because you and I are followers of Christ, there should be an exception to the way things happen for me. So just because people are affected, certain way by the economy, we can be the exception as followers of Christ. Just because there's been um, some sort of dynamic in your family's past, whether it be divorce or addiction or something like that, you can be the exception. And we've used this term water walker based out of Matthew chapter 14 for the person who embraces this principle of exception that would say, you know what, I am going to walk on top of what other people drowned in. And there might be other people that are drowning in debt around me, but I'm gonna walk on top of it. There might be other people drowning in alcoholism and drowning in addiction around me, but I'm gonna walk on top. There might be other people drowning in negativity around me, but I am going to walk on top of it. A water walker is someone who walks on top of what other people find themselves drowning in. So I'm saying I'm not gonna allow my age or my stage in life, I'm not gonna allow my education or my gender or or my past experiences or past failures to determine the possibilities of my future. I am a water walker. If we have any water walkers in this room, let me hear you this morning. Yeah, we are water walkers, water walkers. And we are continuing in this series today with the title, Don't Just Sit There. Because I believe as we look at this passage, it's very clear to see that Jesus walked on water and Peter walked on water. That in this story in Matthew 14, there's two people 
doing something miraculous, two, two people doing something amazing. And we look and go, Jesus, he's the son of God. Of course, he's walking on water. Uh, that, that's incredible. But then there's a guy that's just as messed up as you and I by the name of Peter, and he's walking on water too. And we spent a couple of weeks focusing on those two. But today, I don't wanna just look at Peter and Jesus in the story. Today, I wanna focus on the other 11 men in the story, the other 11 that saw Peter and Jesus walking on water, and they chose to just sit in the boat. And I wanna do this, I wanna, I wanna ask the question, why did they just sit there? Because I believe there's a detail in this story that you could very easily overlook um, that, that brings an intensity to this story. Because the Bible tells us in verse 24, it says, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So verse 24 explains to us and paints a picture that there's, there's wind blowing against the boat, that the waves are, are being blown up by the wind and hitting the boat so hard it's buffeting the boat. What we know is that these men were stuck in the middle of a storm. And actually we could even picture what this would look like that all night long they had been trying, they were, they were rowing as hard as they can, they were doing everything they knew how to do to keep this ship moving, and they were stuck out in the ocean with the wave coming up onto it. And, and we even know from other stories uh, where the disciples were out on the boat, there were times that water would even get into the boat. So this could have been one of those moments where it was dangerous, there's water getting in the boat. They could be sinking right now. So if we know that the men that are in this story are in a boat that is stuck and is sinking right now, why? And this is what we wanna do today is we wanna ask the question. We wanna get into this story and interrogate the text and ask the question, if you're stuck and you're sinking, why would you just sit there? Seeing Jesus walking on the water, seeing the fact that Peter took the opportunity to come out onto the water with him, why would you just sit there? But I think we need to be very careful to not become judgmental of the disciples as we read these stories because we look at them and in hindsight, we see that, yeah, they could have got out on the water with Jesus. They could have got out on the water with Peter. But, and we ask the question, why would they just sit there? But I think, let's hit the pause button for a moment and ask ourselves a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were suck, stuck and you felt like you were sinking and you just sat there? Have you ever felt like you're just sinking? You look around and you start asking questions like, why am I here? You know, why am I still doing this? Why am I in this boat with you, right? Have you ever looked at your peer group and thought that? Why are you still a part of my life, right? It, have you ever felt stuck? You know, every one of us at different periods of time in our life, maybe different seasons, you find yourself in a situation where you're sinking. Like, I'm not getting anywhere. I've been in the same cycle every year. New Year's resolution comes around. I'm gonna lose weight. New Year's resolution comes around. I'm gonna save money. New Year's resolution comes around. I'm gonna get healthy. I, we come up with the same things and year after year after year, we find ourselves stuck in the same place. Have you ever felt like you were just stuck? Because you can be stuck spiritually. And when it comes to your spiritual life, you can be in a place where you feel like you've, you've lost that that vitality spiritually. You lost your spiritual fervor. You know, you feel like your spiritual muscles are weakening all the while you feel like there's that other part of you that's getting stronger. 
That self-sabotaging part of you, that, that old man, that old nature, as the Bible calls it, getting stronger. And the Christian doctrine uh, describes to us that sanctification teaches us that the old you, though, we need to understand this as Christians. When you get saved, like you, your spiritual life comes awake. You have a home forever in heaven. But the, we learn that the old you, that old sinful side of you, it is never eradicated. It's still there. So as Christians, what we have to do once we get saved, uh, our spirit saved, but now I've got to take control of and arrest th this old fleshly side of me that was self-sabotaged and caused me to make horrible decisions and hurt my relationships and hurt myself. That, that old part of you, we've got to take it under control. We got to put it into solitary confinement. And I wonder, can we be honest? Would you be honest us to say, you know, you might not do those things that you used to do, but that doesn't mean you forgot how to do those things you used to do. I mean, when we're real for a moment, like, yeah, we've turned some things around. We've stopped living life the way we used to, but every once in a while we get those reminders of the things we could go back and do. Well, you still know how to sin. <laughs> some of we still know how we used to get away with sin. Right? That's why we see in scripture, Paul says, I die daily. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die daily. What is he talking about? He's saying, he's saying, I have got to allow the power of the spirit to keep my old self, that old nature under arrest. Because even when that old nature though is out of reach of being able to act, it still has the ability to speak. And don't you know, man, your old nature will still speak to you sometimes. Your old sinful self will still tell you things to do. Some of you, it talked to you this week. This last week, you might've been in a, in a conflict with someone and you hear your old self whispering to you, just cuss him out right now. Like give him a good one, make it count right in front of his boss, right in front of everyone. Just cuss him out. You know, Jesus will forgive you for it. Just give him a good one, right? Am I the only one? Do I need therapy? Are you guys with me on this? It's like that old nature will still talk to you sometimes. And, and you can be in a place where you are sinking spiritually, where you feel yourself getting weak and losing passion when it comes to your spiritual life. All the while that old fleshly side of you tends to be rising up again. And the question we ask, why then, if you can feel yourself sinking spiritually, why would you just sit there? And yet we find ourselves sinking and sitting. You can find yourself sinking when it comes to your emotions, sinking emotionally that, that you feel yourself losing yourself, that you can have bad moments and bad moments turn into bad days and bad days turn into bad weeks. And if you let them, bad weeks will turn into bad months and bad months will turn into bad years and you feel yourself losing your joy and losing your peace and losing your patience and losing your kindness and losing your gentleness and your goodness, you find yourself losing emotionally. Why is it that we would find ourselves in different times and seasons and lives where we feel like we're sinking emotionally and that we just sit there? You can find yourself sinking physically, still stuck in the same habits that make you more and more unhealthy and, and, and we, we, we make excuses and we look at our lives and we're waiting for some lifeguard to come rescue us physically. All the while it was God who gave us responsibility to take care of ourselves physically. 
Why is it that we would see our health get worse and worse and worse and yet still sit there? You, do you realize you could be sinking professionally? You know you're sinking professionally when Sunday night is the worst night of the week. When you lay in bed thinking about, oh gosh, I have to go to work again tomorrow. If you find yourself just dreading the way you're gonna spend your week, you know you're sinking when it comes to your professional life. Think about this, we have 168 hours in a week, just 168. And you're gonna spend between 50 and 60 of those hours every week sleeping. So that leaves just over 100 hours for the rest of your week for your activities. Why would we spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week doing something that we hate? You can be sinking professionally. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that for seasons, sometimes we have to do the things we don't wanna do in order to be able to pay for and do the things we do want to do. Just like uh, we see Paul for a period of time, he was a tent maker. Like he didn't wanna build tents, but he had to build tents in order to be able to pay for the fact that he wanted to go on mission trips and build churches and help other people. It's like sometimes for a season, you have to do things you don't want to do, but there's a big difference between a season and a lifetime. You can find yourself sinking. So I don't think we should judge the disciples because they found themselves sitting in something that was sinking because I think every one of us in this room have found ourselves in different seasons and times with different peer groups sinking. And it makes us ask the question, if, you, if you're in a situation and you're sinking, then why did you just sit there? And what I wanna do today is I wanna look back into this text and, and, and take a, a picture of what we see here with the disciples sitting there and talk about some of the reasons why they might have sat in a situation that was sinking because I believe that, that maybe some of the reasons they sat in a boat that was stuck and that was sinking might be some of the reasons that you and I find ourselves sitting in something that's sinking. So I wanna give you a couple points that we're gonna look at briefly this morning. These are some reasons why we might end up just sitting in a broken, sinking situation. Number one, maybe they were sitting there because of mismanaged exposure. Maybe they sat there because of mismanaged exposure. Now, I know we talked about exposure two weeks ago, but I wanna look at it again because there's a negative type of exposure that I wanna focus on for just a moment. Because what we know is that these men were fishermen. Many of the disciples were fishermen. They lived their lives on the water. They were exposed to storms before and they had been exposed to what most people in normal situations did in storms. So. For many, many of them, they would recognize, well, when a storm comes up, there's a couple things you're gonna do. One, you stay in the boat, and if the boat sinks, you go down with the boat. That's, they were exposed to it. That's just the way it was out on the water. Maybe they knew that you just stay in the boat and hopefully the storm blows away. Maybe they were thinking if the boat breaks apart, we're gonna grab a piece of wood and try to float and try to make it back to shore. And they were exposed to storms before, but all they knew is that if a storm happens, it's gonna get bad and hopefully we can get out of it. And, and they, you go through life, if you're, if you're used to the fact that, that you're in sinking situations, then, then sinking starts to become normal. 
If you're in a family that's sinking, then, then sinking will start to feel normal. If you're in a church that's sinking, then sinking will feel normal. If your business is sinking and you're losing money, then, then sinking all of a sudden starts to feel normal. But I'm here to tell you today that, that your sovereign savior, Jesus Christ, didn't just die on the cross so that we, we would just hope to not sink in life. But he died on the cross to give you freedom and the ability and the opportunity to walk on top of things that sink other people. Because if you're going through life just feeling like sinking's normal, then you're just hoping that the wind doesn't blow your direction. But our Savior has given you the ability as his child to be able to have the wind blow in your direction and storms come up in your direction and giving you the ability to be able to stand on top of it. Because we know that these men here, they, they, were, they didn't know that you could step on water before because all they have ever been exposed to is men staying in the boat. But then the Bible says they saw Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, I mean, this is, this is an example. The disciples seeing Jesus walk on the water is an example of them being exposed to something to them that, was, that, that, that now they know is possible to them. See, a water walker knows how to manage what they're being exposed to because we've got to ask the question, why is it that God is exposing me to certain things in my life? Why is it that you, you're recognizing things that maybe other people don't recognize? You see certain successes in other people that maybe other people are missing. Is God exposing something to you? Because God isn't just showing you new things to show you what you can't have. He's exposing things to you so, so that it'll create in us an appetite because when you're exposed to something, you, you can either admire it or you can be inspired by it. And when God exposes things to you, we should be inspired to want more. See, God isn't just saying, look, here's all the things you can't have. He's showing you healthy marriages so that it will create in us a hunger for more. Because when I see your marriage being successful, that means I want my marriage to be successful. When I see your business like making money right now and you're, you're making sales right now, that makes me go, it's possible for me, I want more. When we manage what we're being exposed to, it starts to create us an appetite to have more. And Peter was the only person on the boat that when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he said, I want that. Why is it the other 11 just sat in the boat? Well, they, they mismanaged what they were exposed to. See, jealousy is mismanaged exposure. Because when you're jealous, you don't, you don't want other people to be blessed. You don't want other people to move forward. In fact, it's like, can you believe that? Can you believe she is engaged now, <laughs> right? Can, can you believe he, he got that job? We were all up for that position and he's the one that got the job. See, when, when, when you're mismanaging your, your exposure, you start to get jealous for the blessings that other people have, where if you're healthy and you're managing your exposure, then we want everyone to get blessed. And I want your marriage to do good and I want your business to do good because when I see that, it inspires me for more. So maybe the disciples, they, they found themselves stuck in the boat because they were mismanaging their exposure. Maybe, maybe number two, maybe they were stuck there because of a lack of energy. Someone say energy. Now with a little bit of energy, let's try that again. So we'll say energy. energy, energy. Sometimes there are things that we don't do, not because we haven't been exposed, but because we just don't have the energy. Have you ever got to the place where, where you would just say, I'm just tired. 
I'm just tired, man. I, it, it is epidemic in our culture right now. It is a badge of honor that we wear in our culture right now. It blows my mind how often I have this same conversation with men in our church over and over again. Every day, this conversation comes up when I will ask the question, how are you? And the answer I get in return is, I'm just so busy. It's like, man, we, we wear that like it's something we should be proud of. But God says, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. I came to give you an abundant life, not a life where you would be so worn out and so exhausted that opportunities arise and we don't do anything with it. See, the Bible tells us that if we don't know the plans and the strategies of the enemy, then you and I are at a disadvantage. So we need to recognize that since the enemy can't take you out, then what he tries to do is he tries to wear you down. And this is why it is so important that the Bible uses words like stewardship, where we're taking what we have, the resources of our money, of our time, uh, of, of our relationships, and we're using them in a way that is beneficial for us. We should be using them in a positive way. So you gotta ask yourself the question, are you managing your time and are you managing your relationships in a way where you have energy for whatever God might, might bring up? Because if not, if you find yourself exhausted, if you're just going through like, I'm just tired. Then when the opportunity comes up where God is walking out on the water and he's saying, come, do you have the energy to climb over the boat and start taking steps? Maybe they were stuck in the boat because of mismanaged exposure, maybe because of a lack of energy. Number three, maybe they were stuck in the boat because of excuses. Dr. Henry Cloud teaches about a principle called learned helplessness. Do you know that some helplessness can be learned? That there are things that, that you used to believe that you stopped believing because someone told you it wasn't possible for you? That's learned helplessness, that, that maybe you're able to do more, but other people have taught you you can't. And what's so interesting about other people determining what is possible for you is they're not telling you what's possible for you based on whether or not it's possible for you. They're telling you what's possible for you based on their own failures and what wasn't possible for them. So it's the opposite of what we're talking about because what they're saying is, I want to try to dictate and determine the outcome of your life based on the failures of my own. Because man, it makes me feel a lot better about myself. The, wor the world looks at it this way. It makes me feel better about myself for you to not be successful in that area because I wasn't successful in that area. So we can learn helplessness by, by the, what's coming in. What are the streams and sources that are coming into our life that are telling us what we can and can't do? Is there anything in your life that, that you think is not possible to you because you've been taught it's not possible to you? One of the things that my family is doing right now that we're so excited about is we've started CrossFitting together and we've been uh, working out at a CrossFit gym in town and we have been loving it. And we just got our daughters involved in this very recently. Um, they are 12 and 14 years old. And one of the things that's cool about CrossFit is they will like, um, they will score the different workouts based on uh, time or how much you lifted or whatever at the end of the day. And what was really neat is one of the first workouts we brought our daughters to um, was a lift workout. So we were going for maxes and my two daughters kind of separated themselves from all the, the adults in class and went and worked out by themselves and were lifting for maxes. And after the workout was over, they looked at the board and they were so proud of themselves and recognized like that my 12 year old and my 14 year old lifted more than some of the adult women in our class. So they're like, whoa, that's awesome. And they were so proud of themselves. They got that competitive side from their mom, just so you know that like, 
But they were so pumped about it. And I'm not talking about the competition in this. I'm not demeaning anyone else. But you would ask, how is it that a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old could lift as much as they did? This is why. No one told them that they couldn't. And man, I wonder how many of you, you, you have dreams and hopes and goals and you haven't even accomplished, you haven't even stepped forward towards those dreams because, because someone along the way said it's not possible. Someone said, no one of your age is, can do that. No one in this economy has ever been able to start a business like that here before. Who, what has the enemy said to you that it is not possible? Because if we find ourselves in situations where we're looking for the excuses of why we can't do things, we're gonna be stuck in a boat looking for excuses for the rest of our lives going, why has it not been possible for me? And it's called learned helplessness. But man, there's good news, church, that I hope you understand is that if you can learn helplessness, you can unlearn helplessness. That, that if we listen to the voice of the enemy and he would tell you every reason why you can't be successful, we need to recognize what is he doing? He is trying to come in opposition to the fact that God is already speaking to you, telling you every reason you can do it. He's telling you, you are the exception. You can have breakthrough. It doesn't matter that your parents got a divorce. You can have a healthy marriage. It doesn't matter that no one else has been able to start this business. You can start the business. I put it in your heart. I put it in your desires because you, it's possible for you. You're the exception. And, and I wonder, why is it that we would, we would go through life and we, we would look for all these different excuses to stay stuck when we see other people around us walking on the water. See, if we look at what we've talked about so far when it comes to you know, lack of energy, mismanaged exposure, excuses, I mean, these are just some possibilities of why the disciples maybe didn't step out of the boat. There could have been many more, but, but these are all just fruit of a bigger issue. And if those are the fruits of why we would stay stuck in life, what's the root? What's behind all of this? Well, this is what's behind the reason why you and I would stay stuck. The root behind all of this fruit is this one word, apathy. Someone say apathy. Apathy. See, apathy is the womb that gives birth to excuses. See, in the text, we see that there are those who, who would just sit there in a boat that's sinking in a boat that's stuck while they're watching other people walk around on the water. Apathy is an absence of enthusiasm, of excitement, emotion, and initiative. Because people who are paralyzed by apathy won't take the initiative to do something about their sinking situation. Now, can I get real churchy on you and like use a little Bible lingo for you for just a moment? Are you gonna be all right with that? Just take a deep breath, we're gonna survive. But Ephesians chapter six uses a term called a principality, all right? In Ephesians six, as it's talking about a principality, it is speaking about a dominant dysfunctional disposition. Should be easy to remember, three Ds, a dominant dysfunctional dis disposition that char characterizes people groups, families, or regions, okay? So 
In talking about a principality, uh, I hope this makes sense. It's, it's, it's the fruit that is characterized by a region or a people group, a city. So we're not talking about a person's personal issues or a person's personal vice or sins. We're talking about a people group. You should be able to recognize trends in a people group, trends in a city, an attitude, right? So. It's a pervasive spirit or attitude in a family, in a peer group, or in a city. Um, and there can be, don't miss this, there can be a principality of apathy. That in a region, there can be a group of people that, that, that are characterized with an apathetic behavior pattern. There can be families that are, that are characterized with being apathetic. There could be work environments that are characterized with being apathetic. Do you understand what I'm saying? And this is what we need to recognize. Is we need to recognize that if it is a principality that the scripture talks about in Ephesians chapter six, that apathy would hold us back and stop us, then hear me believers, it must be overthrown. It must be overthrown in your life. It must be overthrown in our church. It must be overthrown in our city because the exception will say, yeah, it might happen that way for the rest of our city. And maybe there's some addiction in our city and there's, a, there's an apathetic attitude in our city, but it's not gonna be that way for me. Why? Because I'm a child of God. And I hear what Jesus is telling me to do. So I'm not gonna sit around and listen to the excuses of other people. I'm gonna do what he tells me to do. In church family, you gotta, you gotta understand that, that there are so many people that get so frustrated in life because they say, I wanna overcome apathy. I wanna overcome this addiction. I wanna make my marriage better. And we think if I can just get tough enough and smart enough, if I can just decide I'm not gonna be apathetic anymore, that's gonna be how I'm successful. And that's not how we will ever overcome principality. The principality has already been overcome. It's already been overthrown. And it's been overthrown by our Savior and His name is Jesus. And when Jesus walks out into a situation and He steps on the water and He calls to you and He says, come, then church family, we have got to understand that it's not by my might or by my will, but it's by His Spirit that I can break free. So we don't just go, I'm gonna get out of this addiction. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a better husband. No, no, no. I'm just gonna do what Jesus tells me to do. And then all of a sudden, before you even realize it, you're standing out on the water and everyone else is in the boat's going, how'd you do that? Well, I, I, he just said to come. So I just, I just did. I just stepped out onto the water. And all of a sudden we're walking past what everyone else is drowning in. See, we have to recognize that this is not something to mess around with because um, apathy will steal so much from you. A apathy, it, it, it doesn't just hold you back in a boat, but it takes from you. See, apathy robs me of information. There are certain things that you won't ever learn about God or about yourself until you step out of the boat. There, there are certain things that a water walker has this attitude when it comes to learning in life is that there's gonna be sometimes that I win and sometimes that I learn. 
and, and like there's gonna, I'm gonna say that again. There's sometimes that I'm gonna follow God and I'm gonna win, and sometimes I'm gonna follow God and I'm gonna learn. Because sometimes there's information that I'm only going to get by stepping out onto the water and I might slip and I might fall, but I'm not gonna just sit in this boat. There's something that my God wants to teach me. Apathy will rob you of information or rob you of elevation. There are places that I won't grow to, places I won't go to until I take the initiative to believe God for more. If I trust him that, yeah, he will do more for me than, than, than I have to step past that apathy. It's not just saying I'm gonna step past apathy. It's just, I'm gonna be obedient to what Jesus said. And then apathy will rob me of my assignment. You've never seen anyone accomplish a purpose until they decide to step past apathy because anything that is worth doing in your life will be fought. Anything that has any value of it in your life, it it will be difficult, it will be fought. There's gonna be times where you go through storms, go through difficulties, have you ever noticed? You decide I'm gonna go on a diet plan and then all of a sudden that's when all of the cheeseburger commercials come on TV, right? Uh, you, you make a decision, I'm, I'm gonna be a kinder person. I'm not gonna cuss so much at the office. And then that coworker shows up late and is blaming it on you again that day. And you're like, ah, because it's gonna be hard. Anytime you ever do anything, it, it's gonna be hard, but, but we have to step past apathy because we're all on an assignment. Because you know that just like we see in this passage of scripture, Jesus was an example to the disciples that were sitting in the boat that it was possible to walk on top of something that they were terrified by and that they were stuck in. And as followers of Christ, God has called you to be an example to the world, an example to your family, an example to our community that you, by the power of God, can walk on top of things that other people are paralyzed by. And it only happens when you say, I'm gonna get out of the boat and follow him. I'm gonna trust him. And and, and, and we get out there on the water and it's scary, but you gotta understand, people need you. Your family is looking at you. They're depending on you right now to to be the example of the fact that, that you can live a life the way God wants you to. That marriages can heal that finances can turn around, that people can step out of depression, that people can step out of addiction. And it just happens from walking and following our God. But we can't be surprised by the fact that it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be a fight. I don't know if you watch boxing much. I love the different fight sports, but in boxing, uh, it, it's so interesting to see. And I believe there's a beautiful parallel here that the boxer will get out into the ring and he will fight his opponent and he will swing and he will hit and he will do his very best, but he will take wounds. He will get his eyes black. He will get sweaty. He will get bloody and he will be tired. And then what happens is there's a moment of relief that comes when the bell rings and he gets to go back to his corner. And then his corner team comes in around him and he, his his corner man steps in and starts rubbing the blood off of his face and fixing his wounds and encouraging him and starting to tell him, hey, man, you're you're dropping your left, so you're taking hits here. Get your left back up, and then you've got more strength than you think you do, so keep hitting him in the ribs. Keep going after it. You've got it within you. You've got it. The bell rings now. Go. I want you to understand that Fellowship Church is your corner. 
and that you step out onto a battlefield every week and it's gonna be tough, it's gonna be difficult, but that's why it's so important that you come back every week because we're gonna grab you and we're gonna say, listen, I know it was tough and I know you went through some pain, but wipe the sweat off your face because you've got it in you. Pick your hands back up because you can be the father God called you to be and start throwing those punches because you're taking ground for the kingdom and you're going to see lives turned around and you're going to see lives changed. In church family, you've got to get it in you where you realize I'm in a fight and I'm going to keep, I'm not going to let apathy cause me to just sit down in the middle of this ring and get beat up because we're in a fight. That's how we know sometimes when people are just like lackadaisical about going to church, it's like because you haven't stepped into the ring yet. When you step into the ring and you say, I'm gonna do what God wants me to do, you're gonna start getting some, taking some swings, taking some punches, and you're gonna go, I need to get back around other believers right now who can pray for me and who can lift me up and who can help me right now because I'm in a war out there right now. And I want you to know you're not alone. The body of Christ here, we hold each other up. We pray for each other. We love one another and we will help you and we will pray for you as your heavenly father comes into your corner and encourages you week after week after week after week to step over apathy, to get onto the water and to start walking where everyone else says you can't do it. So church family, I wanna ask you if you would to stand your feet with me. And before we go, cause we are out of time, I wanna ask you if, if in any area of your life, you feel like you are sinking, with no one looking around, heads bowed and eyes closed, in any area of your life, you feel like you are sinking, would you just be honest and put your hand up so I can pray for you? I would tell you right now, the spirit of the Lord is calling to you and telling you if you are sinking, don't just sit there. Don't just sit there. The, the enemy is doing everything he can to be, get you to become complacent in life and to be in this same spot that you're in now, 10 years from now. And your heavenly father stands in front of you and he says, come, come, come to me, come to me. God, I know that we're now at the place where it's not gonna be any more words. It's not gonna be any more songs or anything like that that will change us. What will, the only thing that will change us is your spirit giving us the strength that we need to follow you when it's scary. So I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that you would, you would help us to overcome apathy. God, we recognize that you've already done the work and all our responsibility is is to follow you. So God, give us the courage to follow you, to do those things that we've been afraid to do to forgive those people we've been afraid to, uh, to forgive, to talk to people about you we've been afraid to. God, help us to follow you out onto the water because we don't want to live our lives sitting in something that we could be walking on top of. So God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room and I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us as we leave this place today. Encourage us, teach us, help us as we step out onto the battlefield for another week. And then when we come back next week, we pray that you would meet us in this corner and encourage us even more. We thank you. We love you, Heavenly Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. 
The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.